wanted to change this entire dynamic that we anyways outsource tech talent and tech intelligence to the rest of the world why shouldn't it be for products and that's when even at Dentsu we actually created a product team that's what we made the data sciences team and built products in India and took that to 32 countries of the world so wow, man. we became alpha partners then beta partners of Google of Facebook worked a lot with their engineering teams still continue to do so uh, in some form today and uh, yeah taking India to the world is our mission Hey guys, welcome to the 21st episode of the Indian Market Story. We're here to tell the story of how India is going to reach $5,000 per capita GDP by 2030. And today, I'm joined by Mr. Abhinay Bhaseen, a stalwart of the advertising industry, someone that's uh, a leading light about how to use data and generative AI in advertising. Abhinay, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We really appreciate you joining us today. Um, but for the viewers' benefit, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, so the viewers know who you are. Awesome. Uh, firstly, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I think India is a powerhouse. So it's good to see that we have a lot of these uh, podcasts and uh, and experiences now more in the market. Uh, a brief bit about myself. Uh, I did my schooling uh, in cathedral, primarily in, uh, in commerce and economics, uh, then went on to do a post-graduation in economics. Uh, I started off my career in advertising, uh, handling media planning and strategy for a lot of large uh, accounts of this agency called Dentsu, the third largest communication group in the, uh, in the country and globally as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I interestingly co-founded the data sciences team about seven years ago uh, in, in an advertising agency in India, which was unheard of. And that's pretty much been the spell of my career. Wow, that's a really interesting career. You've been right on top of the, the biggest trend of this decade, which is, um, you know, data and advertising. But, right. you know, before we get into your professional life, we both share an alma mater in Warwick, right? Yes. And Two of them, Cathedral as well. Cathedral and Warwick, yeah. right, of course. <laughs> uh, and one thing I wanted to know, um, so I know you, and I know that you must have had the opportunity to live and work in the UK or US or wherever it might be. Right. But you came back after your education. Unlike me, I, I stayed for a little longer. Um, yeah. Why? Why did you choose to come back to India? I think it was a very interesting shift, but the choice was pretty much obvious for me. I mean, today, if you look at the economic growth that India has had compared to its peer set and the rest of the world, $100 invested in India is going to take you far more than in any other country, right? So I think the opportunity was amazing and immense in that stage. I think the scale of growth was a lot and the flexibility that the market has to try new things, experiment, learn fast because mm -hmm. nothing better speaks than sales or market reception in that sense. I think India offers a lot more challenges and opportunities than any other economic power that you can probably think of. And I think it's a, a, a bet well paid off so far. Absolutely. I mean, let's look at your career. Obviously, it's a bet <laughs> well paid off. But okay, before we get, get into your career, Another thing I wanted to understand is, at what point did you realize marketing was the direction that you wanted to take? Where did, you know, that love for marketing come from? Right. I think in some ways I've been born in advertising. We grew up with brands all along. My dad has built a career in advertising as well. So at a very early stage, I think in about seventh or eighth standard, where we had to make career choices of what stream do you want to be built into. And for me, I think commerce and then picking economics as subjects are things that 
very nascently uh, came to me uh, as a thought process. So that's where instantly I knew marketing. But I wanted to, I had this knack for maths. I wanted to know that there was a quantifiable way of explaining consumer behavior. And I call myself an economist in the field of advertising. And that that's how uh, my career came about. So it's not a typical traditional marketing role. I built data sciences team. I now work at a company called consumer.ai, which is more about focusing on consumer behavior and explaining it. I think that gives me tremendous joy. Nice. The one thing I uh, you mentioned, you're an economist in the field of advertising. One thing I know as a fellow economist is as economists, you never stop calling yourself an economist. It yeah. doesn't matter what you're <laughs> in. You're always, I'm an economist in healthcare. I'm an economist exactly. in whatever exactly. exactly. It's, exactly. Uh, it's beaten into exactly. You know, very interestingly, right? One of my biggest motivators of studying economics and in advertising was this gentleman named Hal Varian. And today he's chief economist of Google. Oh. And he actually built the algorithms beyond which they make a lot of their money. And oh, wow. that was that is when I realized that yes, there's a tremendous application in A, understanding consumer behavior, but B, monetizing it using mathematics and statistics. And as you know, 90% of Google's revenue is ad-driven. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's very interesting. I didn't realize that an economist was behind Google's success. <laughs> and if you don't, I'm going to borrow that fact from now on. When sure. Everybody asks me, why do you study economics? Economists build Google. You exactly. Know? <laughs> so yeah. I guess let's talk about, you know, the advertising landscape, right? right? Because you've been in this in this business for a long time. Yeah. In India, we've seen, you know, several layers of evolution. Right. And you've been part of that evolution. Right. So from your perspective, how is the marketing and advertising landscape in India evolved over the last decade or so? Right. I think very interesting question. While we have been digital natives and we born virtually with a phone, or rather Gen Z now has been born with a phone. We probably got our phones in the seventh standard mm -hmm. or so, right? Uh, India as an economy itself, in terms of their consumption habits of content, has rapidly uh, moved up, right? So mm -hmm. India has moved from a single TV household to now a multi-screen uh, mm -hmm. household in many ways. Of course, you have more of tier two, tier three also now coming up with getting television sets. But mobile phone penetration uh, has probably gone up 2x, 3x in tier 2, uh, mm -hmm. tier 3, right? So you're now looking at an increased digital penetration, which means that there's a lot more available uh, in the realm to understand this behavior. And that's pretty much how the advertising uh, landscape has sort of evolved, right? You've gone from mass medium communication, while it is still very heavy, you have your huge television ads, you have your out of home advertising still very mm -hmm. vibrant, but digital advertising has been the fastest growing part of advertising. And that's probably because we, pr we have a very high proliferation of affordable data and mm -hmm. smart devices yeah, in a country absolutely. like ourselves. Yeah. So another thing that within this, uh, within this topic that I came to learn of very recently hmm. is that when you have a single screen household, right? right. Everything has to be catered to the whole family. Yes. Right. Yeah. But now that we're living in a multi-device mm. uh, ecosystem, right, you're able to segment and target a lot more specifically. And right. I learned this from a content perspective, right, where you know earlier you used to have family-friendly TV on everything all yeah. the time. Yeah. Everything had to be family-friendly. And if yeah. you look at maybe content evolution, yeah, now you have non-family-friendly TV yeah. that's direct to you know your mobile devices. Yeah your traditional media may still be family friendly. Yeah. So I guess what I want to try and segue into is hmm. this increasing segmentation hmm. um, 
how has data played a role in that and how has personalization played a role in that and how does that intersect with marketing and advertising? Yeah, I think very, very interesting way to look at it because Varun, if I look at our own behavior also, we are very different in our own content consumption across screens. Mm -hmm. So one of the topics now in advertising is this entire fight for attention. So uh, I think one of our early conversations also, right? The human attention span used to be about 40 minutes now when we were in classroom. Right. Now it's about 20 minutes. Your lectures in classrooms are also reduced to about 20 right. minutes or so, right? So one is this fight for attention. At the same time, it's fragmented behavior in, mm -hmm. in some sense, right? But where digital plays a role is that you're constantly learning about the consumer in a personalized way. So Netflix's recommendation engine for you will be very different from Netflix's recommendation engine for me. And that's because it's processing with tremendous magnitude. The ads you see on Facebook, mm -hmm. while because you and I share a lot of commonality might be fairly similar, there might be some nuances and some differences. For example, you might get more cricket related content. I might get more Formula One related content, right? And that is this ability to process data at a cohort level that really is even making digital advertising a lot more sharper in that sense. Content itself uh, is changing to sort right. to, to even be in these uh, fragmented screens in different ways. Like Netflix shows are very different from what we used to see in television. Of course, growing up, right? of course. So, yeah. Yeah. so I guess what I'm trying to understand from this is how is brand building changed? Because yeah. earlier, you know, you take your big brands, Amul, Nirma, several others. Yeah. You were built through a single screen and then everybody knew that. And it was Correct. ubiquitous. Correct. And that created a huge moat. Correct. But now that, as you described, you have fragmented, you know, screen time, different behavior across different channels. Right. And oftentimes now people... Are and different demographics, right? Yeah. So yeah. to address that fragmentation, right? In a way, earlier when a company used to shoot an ad, they used to have one large TVC shot and then adapts made for different formats. Now, because they realize that the consumer is probably different and they can target also to specific groups, right? So for example, uh, a television ad would go to the entire household, like you said. So it has to be something family oriented, something broad, like cricket related or auto related that most of the country is probably engaged in. But in digital, I can create a thematic ad for automobile versus a thematic ad for, let's say, gender gender sensitivity, right? Like mm -hmm. Airtel's entire, uh, uh, sorry, Ariel's entire share the load uh, campaign mm -hmm. uh, uh, that Surfers right. did, right? Uh, is basically around gender stereotypes and sensitivity, which could have worked brilliantly in the digital format, right? right. So now you can actually reach out to different consumers with different kinds of advertising targeted specifically to them on mm -hmm. these platforms. And of course, then you have a generic TV ad for the overall campaign. So that's right. how it's evolved in many ways. So it's no longer that one single generic message that you're putting out, but now nuances that you can bring out based on several cuts of demography or interests that you can actually reach out to. No, absolutely. That's a very interesting way to think about it. So is it a case of your applying your brand to different demographies? Or are you, is, a, is your brand an amalgamation of how you present yourself to various sets of consumers? How, how should a business owner like myself maybe right. look at this ecosystem and think about how to build that brand? Right. I think the holy grail of marketing, if you see, right, in many ways has not changed. It's about getting the right message to the right person mm -hmm. on the right medium now mm -hmm. at the right time, right? So 
what fragmentation has done is in a way it's divided attention yes but it's also created these nuances of your behavior that now you can tap into so a brand such as yourself let's say if you were advertising mass on tv or to a broad demographic you'd probably look at let's say a insurance ad that promotes safeness safety security those mm-hmm. kind of things overall but if you want to get the gen z into investing in some mm-hmm. ways you'd have a more savvier communication that you'd put up on tiktok or you put up on instagram or any one of these formats right that are new age that will probably link to a influencer marketing is another large mm-hmm. part that's growing up right you did a session not too long ago on influencers right yeah. so you have now these nuances that you can explore where you can bring up a flavor to create a message that resonates with your audience because now you know you have access to information that you didn't have earlier right like you might have thought life insurance probably appeals to any salaried male from right. 35 to 65 more likely to be purchased somewhere in that bucket right right but maybe uh people who are just starting out their career in the 25 to 30 age group might want some sort of security for their parents very different communication very mm-hmm. different tg you might not have thought of them as your consumer and it maybe not have would not have been possible to access them without you know these digital distribution mediums that's a very interesting yeah. way to to think about this thing yeah. and i guess that's part of what you're trying to build a profit wheel if i'm not mistaken or how how should i uh, present the company? yeah i think so profit wheel we just came up with a name because the idea was how do you find your most profitable cus- customers right and in some sense digital advertising while we say that there's a lot of data available information and intelligence is very rare there's a mm-hmm. uh, think there's this entire topic about wall gardens and lesser accessible information that is there so we created this company called profit wheel where we say that bring in your first party data the intelligence that you build as a brand about your customers which is more often offline mm-hmm. let us marry that in the digital marketing ecosystem so that you can now suddenly sub segment your audiences understand them in a different way and then reach out to them through creative through recommendation of influencers recommendation of the kind of themes that they might be interested in and that can have media and creative implications. Oh, very interesting. I think I didn't realize that you guys are working in marrying digital and physical data and yeah. uh, that's that's a very interesting space to be. I think that's a very core part because if you look at the evolution of advertising, right? You have a lot of this intel especially in your sector. You have a lot of this intelligence built offline. Uh today even brands like Unilever, P&G, they have tons of audiences which pretty much could be the entire breadth of a country buying mm-hmm. their products right but suddenly they launch a new brand or in your case you build up in intelligence about affluent purchasers mm-hmm. offline right digital marketing or digital platforms can only tell you what they consume online mm-hmm. but now marrying that online consumption with an affluent consumer signal mm-hmm. is some, is where actually you will turbocharge your campaigns oh, very, that's very where that wealth of information comes together very very interesting so as an entrepreneur as a business owner what's your journey been like i think uh, you you had some experience with this with densu so yeah. what's your journey been like as a solo entrepreneur and tra- rather not solo but as an independent an entrepreneur yeah. trying to make this happen yeah i mean it's not so much as an entrepreneur as much as it's carrying a team along uh, with myself and that's the culture i built at densu as well we built a very uh, flat hierarchy but in terms of journey it's been the most unorthodox right we studied i studied economics yeah. like you did got into advertising which is a niche that many people wouldn't get into after studying economics and then uh, data sciences didn't 
exist about seven years ago in advertising the way it is today, right? So pretty much had an open canvas to actually start that out. But what kept me true to myself is two things, actually. One is this passion for understanding audiences. And uh, the second is that when you look at technology, right, it's often built abroad and then imported into India. Right. And that's one thing that my team and I actually wanted to change. A large part of my core team is also uh, with me. And we wanted to change this entire dynamic that we anyways outsource tech talent and tech intelligence to the rest of the world. Why shouldn't it be for products? And that's when even at Densu, we actually created a product team. That's what we made the data sciences team and built products in India and took that to 32 countries of the world. So wow, man. we became alpha partners, then data partners of Google, of Facebook, worked a lot with their engineering teams, still continue to do so uh, in some form today. And uh, yeah, taking India to the world is our mission. Amazing, amazing. I, I genuinely, I, I completely resonate with your mission. I think we can't be exporting the labor and then re-importing the ideas. That's just simply not going to work. Right. And I think there's a lot of companies like Zoho and yourselves as well. And yeah. hundreds of others that are trying yeah. to build on this. And I genuinely yeah. believe we'll get there. You know? you know, I think one very interesting thing that's changed for the country also is that earlier we were a land of failed startups. Now you have about a ton. We've just raised about two and a half billion dollars, if you think about it, from 2015 or so to now in our startup ecosystem probably the fastest and most vibrant growing part of uh, a part of uh, new India, right? Mm -hmm. So I think now the entire wave has changed where a lot of uh, foreign capital is being invested into Indian growth of these startups. D2C brands are just completely mushroom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So No, I, I think we'll try and show, you know, just to highlight your point, the growth of startup funding in the Indian ecosystems. Yeah. I think two and a half billion might be a conservative number. Very I, I conservative, guess, yeah. of course. The number is far lot. But I think officially, if you just look at it, like from basically, it's grown also 10x, I think, from what it used to be. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal growth. And yeah. I think it's a, um, a growth engine for the country. And, you know, I think at some point, I'm going to try and get a VC on the podcast yeah. to might explain this, yeah. you know, this growth and where it's going and, and what yeah. this money is actually doing. Yeah. Because it'll be a, yeah, it's, it'll be a really interesting conversation to yeah. have. Yeah. I guess moving on from the history of, of where we've been and how data has driven advertising, right. the next mega trend for for the world in general yeah. is generative AI or, or AI more broadly. Yeah. And I think that's something that you're really well versed with. So how is AI being applied and how will it be applied to the advertising space? Yeah. You know, uh, not just advertising, I think what it's doing is that it's transforming a lot of job functions inherently, right? Like I remember about, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago where I read this interesting statistics in a Dell report, very interestingly, talking about uh, how jobs of the future are going to look like. And one interesting thing that came up is that 85% of the jobs that we knew then wouldn't exist by 2035. 70% um, of existing job functions are going to be transformed forever by technology between 2025 and 2030. So those two stacks ma uh, made you actually think about the fact that the way, the skills that you have need to be constantly enhanced. Um, not too long ago, I gave a TEDx where uh, it was on the future of work and talent. And one of the key things that came up is that is artificial intelligence going to actually eat up my job forever? And uh, very interestingly, again, right, by the time you're done with a three-year program of a technical degree, the first year and a half is already redundant, which means that you need to constantly keep looking out for what's next in terms of trends. 
with the way i look at technology the way i look at tools like generative ai is is like an iron man suit so it's only meant to augment human capability rather than replace it today you can do a copywriter would have probably spent nights in office trying to come up with 100 variations for an advertisement for maruti mm-hmm. today in one click of a button within a very intelligent prompt you will get 100 variations in 30 seconds mm-hmm. i think it's going to just tremendously give you new ideas also that you might have not even thought of and um, i think it has tremendous capability in taking the world forward absolutely absolutely i, I completely agree with you you know yeah. um i think the example that you know we were taught as economists when we think about technology is always the luddites yeah. right they yeah. opposed the uh, the automated loom yeah. for creation of textiles yeah. and yeah. eventually they they end up losing but yeah. now we all get to wear lovely clothes like this exactly. right so the luddite fallacy i think is very much prevalent now every tech disruption actually saw that in many ways right like you said the industrial revolution started off this entire thought now with artificial intelligence automation uh, what is very interesting now is that earlier you had the shop floor uh, the mm-hmm. factory workers being uh, displaced yeah. somewhere right now you're having a lot of skilled labor who studied in fancy universities pretty much don't even know whether they're going to get a good enough job uh, as soon as they graduate right. right and that has become the largest threat but i think that this synergy between human and machine in many ways needs to not be looked at as a threat but as an opportunity for growth the smartest person and i think now is actually become a very uh, commonly said saying uh, is not you're not going to be replaced by a computer but you're going to be replaced by a person who can work with ai more right. effectively than yeah you. yeah yeah and another thing that really sort of occurs to me with this entire conversation is that whenever anyone is describing their job as a st- or describing their function as a static mm. is sort of doing a disservice to humanity in the economy because our problems- i mean even for yourself right like if you are not evolving today if you're not improving your skills today if your status quo today you're already fallen back behind the curve absolutely absolutely yeah. but my point is a little bit broader like we we don't need growth just just a bad balance sheets right like yeah. if you think of if you take let's say the us or not even the us just europe out of the equation hmm. there's still a need to deliver and distribute products and services to people that still need it yeah think about things like financial inclusion yeah. healthcare yeah. education yeah we still need to make more products and services accessible to more people at reasonable price points yeah and technological innovation is only going to make that happen it's not going to replace people it's just going to enable people to do more yeah and that's kind of what we're trying to do at pesa yeah. smart but that's a separate yeah. conversation but i mean look at the just the covid vaccine mm-hmm. the development of it right ai was able to crack the genome of a virus in 7 days unheard of before you would wow. probably not reach that far uh, in that sense using it in agritech to predict better crop patterns better soil conditions to figure out what is the right crop with the right amount of fertilizer to increase mm-hmm. a per hectare yield in land i think uh, going back to the luddite fallacy right industrial revolution advancement just increase life expectancy increase yeah. so many developments that we can probably not even have thought of yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. i don't think like i said earlier right is meant to augment you rather yeah. than this thought of replacement absolutely and that's where it's going to have that ripple effect right it's going to have you're going to have smarter better products more affordable 
the entire thought of doing experimentation before actually going out also is something that you can simulate a lot smarter now uh, yeah. with AI, right? So that's a lot you're seeing now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I guess maybe let's try and talk about the other side of things with um with the conversation around AI and data. Right. Are there any ethical concerns about using consumer data or any type of data in AI? Or are there any ethical concerns about using AI and what it might produce and what that means for the world? Yeah. Uh, I think deep fix is an example of how yeah. AI can be, you know, substantially misused. But yeah. Do you have any ethical concerns around the use of AI? I think things that people need to keep in mind is that we need to understand at the end of the day that any algorithm is actually written first by a human being trying to replicate a particular it's called artificial intelligence because you're trying to recreate how your mind builds intelligence mm -hmm. so it's coded by a human with a certain set of data now one of the largest concerns earlier was biasness of these algorithms because human beings are inherently biased we learned this in our economic days right yes. um to counter for gender neutrality to counter for racial uh, prevalence in algorithms and then counter countering uh, that as well right so basically those are concerns in artificial intelligence because today let's say and might be a very sad example but if you had to dis determine the outcome of a legal case in the US let's say and you had a lot of data of past convicts, you're more likely to predict an outcome based on that data, which could have a certain bias, right? Yeah. So I think acknowledging those may exist, changing variables and now making that data a little more wholesome and looked at from different uh, aspects. A lot of uh, institutes are now created. Microsoft, in fact, had one uh, for biasness in AI. That is actually a threat and something that we're trying to solve for. Because the over-dependence on the knowledge of algorithms is also going to be far dangerous. So while artificial intelligence shouldn't be looked at a pure replacement, but the human being still needs to be there to interact with that system to be able to get a better outcome and the right outcome for it. No, absolutely. I think you're 100% you're right about that. Yeah. I guess lots to think about from an AI perspective. Right. But let's bring it back to the reason why here, you know, India and our growing economy. Right. So when you look at all these, you know, technology trends, when you look at, you know, the, the consumer trends, um, how do you think we get to $5,000 per capita GDP? What are our opportunities and what are our threats? I think the largest strength that we have is our demographic. Demographic dividends in India is way better than any other country. And with that, what's happening is that your middle class is actually going to be your powerhouse of consumption, fast growing. Tier two, tier three towns are growing a lot faster and, and coming back. And if I actually look at that, uh, even to the stat that you put, right? If you look at infrastructure of the world, just look at the kind of development that's happening uh, in roadways in our own city. Mm -hmm. We just had the G20 summit and a lot happened for that as well uh, in terms of our soft power and, mm -hmm. uh, and hard power, right? And I think that the fact that a lot of our infrastructure as a country, as an economy is actually going to be new, whereas in most parts of the world, it's already going to be 100 years old. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really what's going to take you to uh, the five hundred, uh, the $5,000 uh, uh, per capita price point. Absolutely. It's a very interesting way of thinking about it. So 
for anyone like us that's trying to build a business in India, yeah. um, do you have any advice, any thoughts on how they should approach the challenge of customer acquisition? Anything that you think they should be thinking about or doing to make customer acquisition easier and more feasible? Yeah, I think two things. One is the changes in the ecosystem of digital advertising will promote this itself. But build your first party intelligence, build your first party data, because nothing no ecosystem can tell you more about your brand and customer than you can as a business owner yourself. Get a pulse of that, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is, and more importantly, I would say, is be experimentative. Try different things, try new things. Technology will keep evolving. Platforms will keep evolving. Uh, attention span and consumer behavior will keep evolving. Try different things, try many things, have an experimentative budget and mindset. And that I think will keep you in good stead. Oh, fantastic. That's really good advice, man. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure all our listeners will appreciate it as well. <laughs> I hope so. Thanks. Yeah. But for the listeners that are nowhere near a business, maybe they're students, maybe they're trying to break into marketing, maybe they want to learn how to get into advertising. Right. Any thoughts or any advice for them? Yeah, I think for them, they need to definitely keep... So it goes to the experimentative mindset that I told you, right? Keep an open mind. Try new... Uh, you're at the golden period of your career right now where you can try a hundred things pick up i did many internships very different i worked at a digital marketing company i worked at google mm -hmm. uh, I, I i did a, a internship with the economist where i actually worked on a pricing model for magazines and digital subscriptions so pick different projects pick different countries expose yourself to as much and become a sponge of learning right now mm -hmm. because like i said right tech is going to keep evolving make sure that you keep sharpening your skills but the only thing that will really take you through is your passion for learning and resiliency oh, i think that's i think that's really really important to reiterate passion for learning and resiliency i don't know if very many people have that but that's uh, i think it's very good advice for anyone that's listening awesome. um, i think that's that's all the questions i had for you today um, is there anything more that you'd like to share to anyone that's listening? Anything that you think people should know about, about yourself, your work or, you know, marketing or advertising in India? Oh, I think, uh, I think we said and covered all we had uh, in <laughs> our candid chat and this is probably something that we can go on about. But yeah, I think just have a passion for learning. Just have a passion to be heavily invested in anything that you are deeply interested in. And I think... Those are things that will take you, the country, and the organization in which you're invested in forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It's been fantastic to hear you talk. Awesome. And, it was a pleasure. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, man. Thank you so much. Cheers. I think that's all we have for you today. Um, we hope you took something interesting away from the conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Elixir Equities Private Limited, a savvy registered research analyst. Registration number INA 00004787. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Investment in securities market are subject to market risk. We strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing.